Listener Production. This is Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suter. We love doing this podcast, Keith. Yeah, we choose a topic that we think is of interest to you guys, you that listen. And, well, it's about international relations, which is a topic, something that's happening somewhere in the world, and then Dr. Keith will make it very easy to understand, explain the background of it and how it all works and what the outcomes are and how it affects us in Australia, et cetera. And you've been doing this for decades anyway in the Australian media as a commentator on international relations, got a couple of PhDs. There is no one better versed on this stuff, Keith, than you. And my name is Kate Mack. We've worked together for a number of years in TV and uh, and also now this podcast for the last couple Future of work, clearly it's in a very transitional phase. A lot of jobs that were have always been around will be phased out, have been phased out, will be continuing to be phased out in the next couple of decades, generations, Keith. And we're staring straight down the barrel of a very, very new workforce, really. We are indeed. And this is um, a summary of a report produced by the Royal Society of Arts and Commerce based in London. And um, it's looking at what new jobs will emerge in the 2020s. So the the authors argue that over the last decade, we've had this storm of austerity. In other words, government cutbacks. This is before COVID. So we've had government cutbacks. We've had automation. And we've had the rise of e-commerce. We've created winners and losers with women in particular bearing the brunt of job losses in the back office and high street roles. In other words, as work gets more automated, you need fewer people working in admin work in the in the back office. And at the same time, we see a reduction of people doing their shopping in person. So they do the shopping online. And in both cases, that's actually made life more difficult for women. So women have particularly have lost their jobs. So this was a study done of the UK situation and looking at the changes of of, um, employment. Now, the growth areas are programmers and software developers. So they are the fastest growing occupations. So getting people to have an expert on uh, information technology. And so they are growing very well. Unfortunately, these jobs in information technology business analysts, et cetera, unfortunately, only 20% of those jobs were filled by women. So it's an industry which is still dominated very heavily by men. So again, is another disadvantage to, to being a female in today's workforce. Their argument is that as you get growth in certain areas, two to keep an eye on are healthcare and finance. They seem to be the growing areas. And they make it, they talk about high tech and high touch. So high tech naturally would be relating to computers of one sort or another. And high touch is where you're dealing with the work of primary and nursery school teachers, care workers and home carers, nurses, nursing assistants. In other words, they're the high touch areas. And it's interesting because if the men are drifting into the well-paid high-tech industries, you're getting a predominance of women in the high-touch sector. So the majority of uh, people going into this high-touch sector 
doctors, nursing, uh, nursing assistants, school teachers, care workers. The majority are women. And what is interesting is that this was a report that was issued some months ago before the COVID crisis really hit. And, of course, what we have seen is that COVID has actually accelerated some of the underlying changes that are taking place. So the biggest losses of jobs include traditional high street jobs, such as retail sales assistants, checkout cashiers, bank and post office clerks, and dry cleaners. And 81% of those jobs which gone were held by women. So, so women are certainly caught up in all of this turmoil. So you've got problems with government cutbacks, that's austerity. You've also got the rise of information technology. A good example of this would check out cashiers. I have never used an automatic checkout at Woolworths. Well, you wouldn't, though, I Keith. I know. But most of us would. <laughs> exactly. Well, I give talks on the social impact of unemployment. So it's hypocritical of me to be using a technology which is costing people jobs. So I prefer to stand in the queue and deal with a human being. But unfortunately, youngsters like you are far more concerned about doing it all yourself no, and, you but... are, and your means that your children won't have any jobs. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is because it is time efficient at times and I've got three children around my feet and legs <laughs> and body uh, that I need to move quickly and get out of there. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, the bottom line is that we're, we're losing the number of people who are cashiers and... Um, and so we're going on much more on to this automatic checkout of, of uh, cashiers, people just doing it, you know, through scanning. But you and I were having a conversation the other day in a different episode about the fact that you've got this growth in things like um, beauty and self-care, like hairdressers and so yeah. forth, which are predominantly female. So is it being balanced out at some level, Keith? It's not being balanced out. I think those jobs have gone, but there are new opportunities that are opening up. And they've actually come out with, uh, in their report, so this is the Royal Society of Arts and Co Commerce in London, and they've produced a, a document called The Four Futures of Work, and they have actually listed four different options that, that perhaps we ought to explore in the other half of, the, of this program. You're listening to Global Truths with Dr. Keith Suda. We're talking about the future of work, Keith, and how the workplace is going to shift dramatically. It already has, and some jobs are simply not going to exist in a couple of years. That's right. So what they're looking at are where some of the jobs will come in the future. So one scenario is what they call the big tech economy. So the technology develops rapidly, leading to widespread automation and tech companies tightening their grip on traditional industries. In other words, you know, in one of our programs, we looked at how someone like Apple might move into the university space. Apple has shareholders that expect Apple to continue to make a lot of money. The problem is that the world is awash now with iPhones. You can't now still make lots of new money from technology. You're not getting that big leap forward. So Apple needs to partner up with other organizations. One of the things we're looking at now is whether they would want to partner up, say, with Harvard in the United States or Yale uh, or perhaps over on the West Coast, Stanford. In other words, that 
they will be able to make money by bringing their technology into the education sector because that may well generate more money. And certainly we know that there needs for more coders and agile project managers. So we will therefore see a whole lot of new jobs opening up for people who are very skilled in that sector. The second area of growth is what they call the precision economy. Now, with this, technological progress is perhaps not quite as dramatic as in the first scenario, but we do see an expansion of what are called sensors being adopted by businesses. There is what's called the Internet of Things. So in 30 years' time, we will have 7 billion items or perhaps 10 billion, 15 billion items connected to the Internet. So obviously, 3 billion will be human beings. The rest will be your automobile, your refrigerator, and or, well, whatever else you're carrying around with you. They'll all be able to talk to each other. That That's is what's just... called the Internet of Things. And the big growth here has been in the development of sensors. So collecting your data all the time and able to manipulate it. They're not spying on you in the sense the Chinese government would be spying. Well, they might do that but for other purposes. But what they're doing is simply collecting data and they're noticing the amount of time that perhaps you're looking at the screen, you're looking away from the screen, you're moving in your chair. So what they would end up doing then is being able to develop algorithmic management techniques for gig platforms like Uber, uh, so Uber Foods, so you'll get the delivery of food and it's all done by uh, these uh, precision sensors that'll be able to say, well, you've got to move from A to B, we will give you a certain number of minutes in which to do that and we can monitor your progress to the split second. So this would be this whole new world that is opening up. Everything is connected, collecting data on you all the time and basically trying to squeeze more and more productivity out of the workers so that we, we make sure the workers generate far more in, of an industrial nature. Um, so that's, that's what's called, they're calling the precision economy. And so um, just collecting data on everything that you do. Uh, that's just, I mean, for most of us who don't really have anything to hide, that's not a big notion. I mean, even now there is an alarming number of people that don't really seem to care about the data that's being collected on them, do they? No. Well, people routinely, when they're, when they're filling in forms or whatever, uh, they said, uh, do you agree with the company's privacy policy? And people always just tick the box. Without they don't actually try to read it, which runs on for some privacy policies actually will run on, if you were to read them out, would run on for several hours. I take my, to read them out on air. Yeah. So, but we, you're right. You know, people are very haphazard. They're very complacent. So we're ending up now with an information technology corporation knowing more about you than you know about yourself. So they monitor every time you get onto Google or any other search engine, et cetera. So they will collect more information. So this is all to do with the precision economy. Now, a third scenario is what they call the exodus economy, which means that we end up with people developing alternative economic models that mean that people just give up on consumer capitalism and they go for more sustainable lifestyles, etc. Now, of course, there will be job losses that will be felt by industries that underpin consumer spending in this new environment. The economies will shrink 
and people will make greater use of whatever resources they've got at the moment. Instead of going out continually buying new clothes, for example, they, they will just continue to recycle them. Paul Kingsnorth, who's one of the founders of the Dark Mountain Project, which is really serious stuff looking at the end of the world, and that's a whole new separate strand of thinking. Uh, I'm, I'm still across that because it's obviously very significant. And Paul Kingsnorth has said the environment is finished. We're finished. As in no coming back. That's no how. And so what he's done is that he's taken his family. They're now living on the west coast of Ireland. I, I think he's actually English, but he's moved over to the west coast of Ireland, created his own little community there and just recycling. And he says we want to be part of the group that survive the crash and we want to, um, we're waiting to see what comes out at the other end. Now that Paul Kingsnorth I think is a great example of that exodus economy. In other words, this is an environmental campaigner, very famous in Britain for sitting down in front of bulldozers, et cetera, stopping road projects, all the rest of it. He sounds it, a somewhat of an extremist. Yeah, but uh, but he's just simply saying it's not going to work. We, we are just, which I've got to say Greta Thunberg, if you've mm. been following mm. her, yep. said much the same only a few days ago. So the, we're finished in terms of the environmental campaigning, et cetera. So the exodus economy is therefore for people who want to have lifestyles that that are outwardly simple and inwardly rich. So Kings North is still continuing with his writing, etc. It shows he's not trying to run a publishing empire or anything like that. So that is a, a third strand, which means that the economies will be much smaller, less consumer-driven, people making do with less for much longer. So that is a third prospect for the future of work that people just want to get out of the workforce entirely and just go and, and it's still going to be fairly labour intensive. You know, Kings North was giving a demonstration about how his toilet works because, remember, they have no flushing water. Mm. It's a very complicated system. But ultimately recycles the waste into growing the, the trees on his estate. So this is a very low technology, low impact on the environment. That's a third Scenario. So we're seeing this in the form of people living off grid, for example, in exactly. Australia. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And then the fourth scenario they put forward is what's called the empathy economy. Technology is steward, stewarded responsibly. Dirty, dull, and dangerous jobs are automated as emotional work becomes more important. Jobs growth is seen in traditional empathy industries such as education, care, and entertainment. Uh, new roles include personal brand consultants. So you're now going to have your own personal brand consultant, Kate, and a digital detox consultant. So, God. <laughs> so for people who are addicted to being on their computers, I've, I'm walking here this morning, I was just struck by the number of people who just walk down the street staring at their screens. Yeah, that nearly walk into you. Yeah, yeah. So uh, a whole new area of work will be how do you get to detox people? Remember, we've already got that in alcohol and drug addiction. You know, it becomes an industry in its own right, getting people off alcohol, getting them off drugs, narcotics. And now he's saying, well, we're going to treat, in this scenario, we will treat social media in the same way. And because people are just becoming far too addictive, there's a brilliant movie, which I've referred to before, called The Social Dilemma. I've seen it. It's brilliant. And it just shows how people are getting sucked into 
the social media web. So one of the areas of work will be getting people out of that web, getting them out of the matrix and trying to get them to lead more balanced lives. The suggestion has been also that retail workers will become in-store influencers who are highly knowledgeable about brands and able to deliver authentic experiences. So instead of somebody just standing at the counter and issuing stuff, the the sales assistant will be an in-store influencer and their job will be to guide you in the right direction for your purchase. It's a whole new world opening up, very different from what... And of course, what is interesting is the impact that education will, will play here because what we're saying in effect is that it's not enough just being a sales assistant, being able to operate the, the till and take the money. You now need to have a new level of education be able to convince customers that are wavering mm. that they actually do need to get a new dress or a new suit or whatever. And this is the age of consumerism to the degree where people actually, mm. somewhere like Australia, have also, it's a very rich country, so we outsource everything. So anything that saves time for us, we'll throw money at. That's right. So, so hence these jobs existing. Yeah, and you'll have household managers. That'll be another area. Now, in the old days, they would have been called butlers, but now we will call them household managers. So they will take care of your children. They'll walk your dogs for you. Where I live, we have uh, people who will walk your dog because you don't have enough time as a young lawyer or a young doctor. That's actually everywhere, I've got to say, Keith. Oh, right. Yes. Yeah. And in Japan, they have people who will ring your parents. <laughs> of course they do in Japan. Oh, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I could do that service here in Sydney. So the next question which is looked at in this report is how do you help the workers to transition. So women have borne the brunt of jobs lost to automation in the last decade and are missing out on the best paid new jobs that are being created. So we've got to find a way and also women are less likely to participate in training. But it's interesting, the report, which is a British report, is saying the UK should take note from what's going on elsewhere. So France and Singapore are piloting personal learning accounts which give all workers annual training credits that they can spend on accredited courses. And so personal learning accounts are a portable benefit independent from their employment arrangements, meaning the credits are accrued uh, and retained by workers even if they move jobs or become unemployed. So the government is actually helping you to pick up new skills. In Sweden, employers pay funds to provide workers with what's called an end-to-end transition service following collective redundancies. So organisations known as job security councils provide displaced workers with information about their local labour market as well as coaching, training opportunities and financial compensation. And this helps make Sweden's economy more dynamic. Businesses can more easily shed unproductive labour because unions can support job cuts knowing that the workers will be protected. So there are some real challenges here for Britain and also, of course, uh, for us uh, in Australia. So it's very interesting how this report has been produced, but it is suggesting that we need to be thinking about work differently. And hopefully our governments are, Keith. Well, let's hope they are. Just so we can be prepared for it all. Yeah. As always, enlightening. Thank you. Global Truths was presented by Dr. Keith Suter and me, Kate Mack. Produced by Matt Dwyer. Audio production by Darcy Thompson. 
listener.